Simon, I'm the lead pastor here, and guys, just thank you for being here. It's, it's always astonishing to me that um, out of all the places that you can be and the things that you can be doing, uh, we've chosen to come here, and uh, thank you for doing that. I hope that uh, for whatever reason you're here this morning, uh, you'll leave with your expectations being exceeded, uh, because we're here to meet with God, ultimately. Whatever songs are sung or words are said, um, it's through these things that we, we have confidence that God comes to meet with us. So ultimately, my hope for every one of us today, in the midst of all of the, the interactions and the words that are spoken and everything else, that Jesus would be felt and experienced and known and worshipped in this place. That's what makes church, church. Um, just a very quick announcement. Uh, oh, two things, actually. So sorry. If you are a visitor or you new, new-ish, please feel free to text the word connection to the number double three triple two, or just grab a paper version of that in uh, either one of the boxes in the aisle here or on the back next to the black felt board. Um, we want to make it as easy as we can for you to connect with the community here. Uh, get involved, uh, submit prayer requests, just get on the email loop, that kind of thing. So, so please, uh, at any point in time, text that word to that number or grab one of those little pieces of paper, fill it out, stick it in the black box, and we will, we will try to connect with you as best we can. The announcement is simply uh, the same announcement the last three weeks. This coming week, ecclesias are starting. Anyone excited? Excellent. Good. That, that encourages me greatly. Ecclesias are essentially what we call our small groups. So during the week, um, we're going to have six of them meeting around the city in various places on various nights of the week, but it's our way to get out of uh, rows and to get in circles and sit down over a meal, get to know each other, process uh, God's word, truth, and, and really grow together. It's for anyone. It's not just a Christian thing we do. It's, it's for anyone who's interested, who wants to actually grow spiritually, um, anyone who wants to understand who Jesus is what his teachings were, and what it actually means to follow him and experience new life uh, in Christ. So I cannot encourage you enough to check out an ecclesia. If you've not signed up for one yet, there's two ways you can do it. You can grab a little card. There's a small stack of them um, in the back next to the black box back there. You can fill one out, give us your details, tell us which night works best for you and which area of Portland you're in, stick it in the black box, and we will hook you up. Uh, or you can go online as well, gracecityportland.org. You can basically do the same thing digitally. But if you've not done that yet, jump on it, get involved. And of course, you're welcome to jump in anytime you'd like, so don't feel like this is it. You guys with me? Okay, great. Guys, we had a, a really great Sunday last week. If you missed it, um, at the very least, I'd, I'd encourage you to go onto the website and listen to the podcast. We had a guest speaker last week. His name, uh, Josh White. He's the, the lead pastor of Door of Hope. Uh, Door of Hope owns the building here that we, that we meet in every Sunday. We have an amazing relationship with them as a church. And he preached a message on grace. Um, I'm not going to presume to add anything to that this morning, but I, I went home thinking, gosh, there's his, his sermon. He did an 
expository teaching on grace out of Psalm 139. And like any good sermon, in my opinion, it not only answers questions, but it begs even more and better questions. So I really want to pick up where he left off. We're going to talk about grace, but uh, specifically, how do we experience it? We may understand it, we may have knowledge of it, but how do we actually experience it? So I want to go straight to the Word this morning. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and and grab it, open it, turn it on, whatever you've got. If you need a Bible, there's some boxes in the aisle here. Please feel free to grab one. And we're going to go straight to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 2 to 5. David, if you want to throw that up there. There it is. Peter was uh, one of Jesus' original followers. He was a disciple, and he went on to be uh, one of the primary leaders of the church that Jesus founded upon his death and resurrection. Peter was an apostle. He, he wrote two letters entitled 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 to 5, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that is Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter is quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're going to talk about humility this morning, but I want to read something to you that I received via email last week. Now, naturally, I'm going to read something to you that was meant uh, to be private, so I'm I'm going to keep their anonymity, and I'm only going to give you a very small portion of the email. I felt so strongly to share this with you guys, but I just want you to know that obviously I'm, I'm doing everything that I can to respect their privacy, but this is so important for us to hear. This is an email that I received last Sunday, um, just after leaving church. I attended your church this morning. Thank you for opening your doors to me and providing a message that resonated deep within. I do have a question I hope you can help answer. If I walk into your church, sit and listen to a beautiful message, then leave without anyone having spoken to me, was I really there? If I sat directly in front of you and cried or looked lost, did you see me? If I look around and see people talking only to others they already know, do you see that? Are you really seeing the people you are talking to, or are you just talking? If I were to read the whole email, you'd know that she wasn't being critical, she wasn't being nasty, she was just being very honest and and expressing something that she felt um, in leaving our our meeting here next Sunday morning. I don't think it was in any way uh, a critique leveled against us in some sort of personal way. It was really just a person 
who'd heard um, an excellent message on the subject of grace, but for whatever reason, went away from here not having experienced grace. And so she asked the question, are we just talking about it, or is this something that is meant for us to actually experience in real life? So I want to talk about how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If grace is a free gift, it's free, but it's also a gift that's to be received, which means there's a, there's a posture, there's a, a receptivity, there's, there's something that we do to position ourselves or open ourselves up that we might receive this incredible, amazing, free gift of God's grace. And as Peter says, in no uncertain terms, God gives his grace. He gives it to those who are humble. What does that mean? Well, if we're going to talk about humility, we need to go straight to... Um, Philippians, Philippians chapter two, five to seven. Um, before we read that, though, let, let, me, let me just explain to you what, what I'm going to do this morning in terms of humility. I want to ask three questions. One, what is humility? So we need to have some sort of working definition of what it is, and we're going to draw that from Philippians here just now. Secondly, and perhaps just as importantly, the question is, what does it look like? So if we're to go beyond just understanding a concept about humility, which might set us up to receive or experience grace, what does humility actually look like lived out? What does it look like in our relationships, interpersonally? And what does humility look like in a less tangible way? What does it look like spiritually? And the third question is, how do we grow in it? How do we cultivate greater humilities, humility in our lives? Um, to share this with you, 19, or six, sorry, 1684, there was a British vicar, uh, the vicar of Gloucestershire, Reverend William Master was his name. I read about this earlier this week. Uh, as the story goes, he, in his older ages, began to think about how he could leave his mark um, at his alma mater. He studied at the University of Oxford in England, and he made the decision that he, upon his death, wanted to bequeath a large sum of money to the university on one condition, that every year two sermons would be preached at the university chapel, one on pride and one on humility. That was 1684. There's not been a year since that those two sermons haven't been preached ever since. About 200 years later, the, uh, the great G.K. Chesterton agreed with uh, Reverend William Master when he said, if there was one sermon that I had left to preach in my life, it would be a sermon against pride, i.e. humility. Um, I should say to you now, I should admit that I, of course, am an expert on the subject matter. <laughs> I know, it's stupid, huh? <laughs> it's been said that humility is a bit like underwear. Um, you definitely want to have some, but it's a li little unbecoming to let it show. 
So it's hard to preach a message on humility with any sort of uh, sense of authority or expertise, but I'm going to try anyways. Let's go to Jesus. (laughs) Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. Have this mind or mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. I want to say, say I'm actually going to give you two definitions, and there's probably a dozen more that we could, we could look at this morning. But based on how we see humility exemplified in the life of Jesus, I want to say two things. Go to the next slide, please. Number one, humility is the refusal to cling on to status Not so as to think less of oneself, but rather to simply think less about self and much about others. Jesus, although being God in human flesh, didn't have the need or feel compelled to cling on to his status as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the King of the world. He didn't cling to his Godhead. Rather, he chose to think less about himself and much about others. Humility is also, go to the next slide please. Humility is the willingness to stand naked before God and man, content to serve others, knowing that in Christ it is God who clothes us in royal attire. And I want to focus on this for a few minutes. If on one hand, humility is the refusal to cling to status and to think less about self and much about others, at the same time, or conversely, humility is the willingness to stand naked before God and man. Never mind my status, never mind how you perceive me or who you think I am, to stand naked before God and man, content to serve others, knowing that in Christ, it is God who clothes us in royal attire. It's interesting that Peter, going back to Peter, utilizes the metaphor of clothing. Have you ever, have you ever thought about how much clothing features in the Bible? Are there any like, fashion design students? Any? No? be interesting to develop a theology of apparel. So look at the scriptures and see how clothing, or lack thereof, is, is consistently utilized throughout the scriptures to describe how we're to relate to God, what he's like and who we are in light of him. But Peter says to clothe yourself in humility toward one another. Why, why the clothing metaphor? God, according to Jesus, God clothes the grass of the field. 
Jesus told his disciples at the end of the Gospel of Luke, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus, in speaking to the church in Laodicea, he says, buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and you might buy white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. In John chapter 21, it's Peter himself who, upon seeing Jesus post-resurrection, you may remember the story, he's gone back to fishing with his mates, and they look out across the water and they see on the shore someone who apparently sounds like Jesus. And according to John, when Peter recognized his master's voice, what did he do? He said he quickly put his clothes on because he had stripped himself for work and jumped in the ocean and starts to do the doggy paddle towards Messiah. What is it about our compulsion to cover up? What is it about our need to feel clothed that our nakedness might not be exposed? In Genesis chapter 3, we read of uh, humility first foregone and how clothing features in that scenario as well. You don't need to turn there. It says in Genesis chapter 3, after the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, were tempted by a serpent. They were tempted to believe a lie about their creator's intention for them. The serpent, the uh, accuser, the tempter, somehow convinces them that their creator, God, their father is withholding something good from them. And Adam and Eve take the bait. They believe the lie. And it says in a moment their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked and they felt shame. It says, then the eyes of both were opened in Genesis chapter three, verse seven, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They made clothes for themselves because they were ashamed when they realized they were naked. In uh, verse 11, God finds them in the garden and he asks them, who told you you were naked? Of course they were naked, they were always naked. But it wasn't a problem. They didn't feel the need to cover up until shame entered into the world. In verse 21, God, after interacting with his children, after engaging them, after wooing them out of hiding, he says, take the loincloths off. You look ridiculous. They're not covering anything up. And God himself makes clothing to cover them. Humility is the willingness to stand naked before God and man. Content to serve others knowing that in Christ it is God who clothes us in royal attire. What does this look like? 
What does that concept theologically look like lived out in our lives? What's the experience? What's the, uh, said the evidence of humility actually look like? How do you know it if you got it? I've told the story before, but I'll say it again. I can remember when I first uh, was transitioning into full-time vocational ministry, and I had to raise my own salary. Excuse me, I had the great honor of raising my own salary. And uh, it was a great honor. And I remember meeting with a woman, uh, Pastor Nancy Boyd. And we had a great meeting. She was very encouraging. And she said, I've spoken with the elders of our church, and we would love to support you as a, as a campus missionary. And I was encouraged. And before I uh, left, she said, I'd like to pray for you. And she said, I'd like, I'd like to also give you um, a word she said, I feel like the Lord was prompting me to share something with you, and I want to, I want to share that with you now. I said, great, wonderful. And she said, uh, I want you to, to beware the enemy's scheme, his tactic to take you out. And she said, I want, I want you to know what that is. She said, do you know what that is? Do you know what the, the enemy's weapon against you would be? And I thought about it for a second. I assumed she was going to say something like uh, maybe lust or... I don't know, something, something generic, something obvious. And she said, pride. And I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> come on, pride. And then, of course, in a moment, I realized, oh, snap. <laughs> mm. Pride. How do you know if you're living your life in, in humility, how do you know if you're, if you're walking with that posture of humility where you're, you're genuinely able to, to be yourself, naked, unashamed, not clinging to some sense of status or something that's going to kind of prove to those around you that I'm, I'm good, I'm cool, I'm strong, I'm, I'm legit. It's like as a pastor in this city, it's a city who reads books, I love that about Portland. We've got pals, it's great. I go upstairs, Pastor Josh has got an incredible library of books. I look through all the titles that I'm assuming he's read and I feel really dumb. <laughs> I feel like I, I need to uh, sort of post something on my Facebook, so reminding the world that I, I've got a theology degree. <laughs> I've read books. I'm smart, and it's, it's my desire to cling to status. It's my fear of what people might think if they discover who I really am or what I'm actually like. And so humility is the willingness to stand naked before God and, and our fellow man, content to serve, knowing that it's God who clothes us in royal attire. What does that look like? Well, going back to 1 Peter 5.5, 5, it's interesting to note that where he quotes Proverbs 3.34, uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, that, that quote is actually sandwiched between two, two other concepts. If you back up a little bit, you'll read Peter exhorting uh, the, the younger members of the, the community to submit to their elders, the leaders. 
And then he, he exhorts the, the leaders to, to serve in a way that's not domineering or for selfish gain, but that's, but that's actually for the benefit of other. He says your, your responsibility, to, responsibility to lead is to serve. And so he's, he's giving examples of what humility looks like on either end of the spectrum. And so we see that that submission to God looks like service to others. And then on the other side of Proverbs 3.34, on the other side of that, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, we see that Peter then goes on to exhort us to resist the devil. It's, it's funny, but if you flip back a couple of pages, we get to James. He says the exact same thing. In fact, you only see Proverbs 3.34 quoted twice in the New Testament, once by Peter and once by James. In James chapter 4, he says, God opposes the proud. This is chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Sandwiched, um, humility is sandwiched in between this idea that interpersonally, when it comes to our human relationships, the way we're interacting with each other, it looks like service. It looks like humble, selfless service. On the other side, it looks like resisting evil. It looks like resisting, literally, the devil. And so I want, to, I want to highlight how humility looks like two things in two different contexts. Number one, submission to God means service to others. Submission to God means looking to him to cover us. Or in other words, humility means that we look to our king to define us, to clothe us, with the security and significance we all long for, and this empowers us to humbly serve others without the fear of our dignity or sense of worth being downgraded. The most vivid example of this in Scripture is, of course, John chapter 13, where Jesus himself exemplifies humble service to his own disciples. In John chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus is at the table sharing a Passover meal with his disciples. And it says in verse three, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and began washing the disciples' feet. You see this picture of the master removing his outer garments, exposing himself, and getting down on his hands and knees, washing the feet of his own disciples. In the social context, that would have been appalling. That would have been unthinkable, borderline offensive. I mean, talk about creating an awkward moment. Peter couldn't handle it. If you remember the story, Peter was the one who refused. He said, Jesus, no, 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 this is, this is uncalled for. 
You mustn't. And of course, Jesus says, well, then you have no place with me. If you don't allow me to wash your feet, if you don't allow me to serve you, you can't roll with me. So Peter, in his sort of nervous uh, tendency to overcompensate, says, fine, then wash my whole body. Great example of religious zeal gone wrong. He's trying, he's trying, but he's just not quite connecting the dots. And Jesus says, no, I just need to wash your feet. Let me do this. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, you don't get it now, but you'll get it later. You don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will. This is humility lived out in our relationships. Whether you're the boss, the pastor, whether you're the person on stage, whether you're the person, whether you're daddy, whether you're mommy, whether you're in charge, whatever your status, when the family of God come together, we remove our outer garments. We don't cling to our status. We stand naked before each other. We kneel and we serve. This is what humility looks like um, in terms of how we relate with people, with each other. Conversely, and I don't know if I'm quite comfortable with simply calling it spiritually. I don't like dividing sort of the, the secular and the spiritual. Let's just say, when it comes to the less tangible aspects of life, when we're battling with our insecurities, when storms are raging within our souls, when we're feeling overwhelmingly tempted to, 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 to posture and to present ourselves and to cling to status because we're embarrassed, because we're fearful, because we're ashamed. And like our original mother and father, we, we, we feel the overwhelming need to sew fig leaves together and cover up. When we're in that place, there's something else happening. Call it spiritual. Call it spiritual warfare, which is why the scriptures say, in your humility, resist the devil, and he must flee. There's a flip side to this posture of humility. Luke chapter 3 Rewind a little bit. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. He, of course, uh, would have been probably not naked, but he would have been in his underwear. And he comes up out of the water. And it says that the Holy Spirit descended as a dove, landed and remained upon him. And then in that moment a voice was heard from heaven. It was his heavenly father who said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In that moment, Jesus was clothed in sonship. Coming up out of that water, next to nothing on, Jesus is covered in the voice of his father. His status is made known.
what happens next. Luke chapter 4 says, The very spirit who descended and remained upon him then led him out into the wilderness where he was tested. It says the, the, the devil came and began to engage him, began to attempt to manipulate him, began to lie to him, began to take God's word just as he did in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and twist it just enough to call into question the identity that Jesus had just been covered in. He said, the serpent, the devil in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4 said, if you are the son of God, my father just said I am his son. And not only that, but that he is pleased with me. What does humility look like in those moments? What does humility look like in those moments? Jesus refuses to give an inch. Clothed in sonship. He doesn't get insecure or defensive. He simply refuses to believe a lie. Jesus knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. He knew that the Father had entrusted all things into his hands. In that moment, Jesus' response was as if to say, I know who my God is. I know who he said I am. I know what he's done for me. You have no leverage in my life. There's nothing you can say to call into question who I know I am. You're not going to strip me of my identity as the son of my father. Humility, when it comes to resisting lies, when it comes to overcoming insecurity, when it comes to refusing to cling to status, but rather willingly stand naked before God and man, content to serve, knowing that it's our Father who clothes us in an identity as son or daughter, that kind of humility, it looks like an elephant looming over a rat spewing lies. You guys know the old adage, the elephant and the mouse. And for some reason, the elephant is apparently terrified of the little weak mouse. Why? I can remember... Uh, the first time, I hope this doesn't freak you out, but I witnessed, um, I guess you could call it an exorcism. It was, a, it was a ministry, it was actually in seminary. Uh, this wasn't in London, but I was taking some, some courses at Fuller, and uh, the professor there was doing a bit of, um, I don't know, call it, call it a ministry workshop. And uh, there was a few people who had volunteered or asked to receive prayer, ministry, and their stories were quite extreme, and there was this one person who had, um, she, she shared a bit of her story, she had been uh, abused uh, sexually, and uh, she'd even witnessed her own father committing suicide, traumatic, absolutely traumatic, and it would seem that the enemy, the devil, had, had somehow managed to exploit or leverage uh, feelings and lies, emotions, and, and she was a bit of a wreck. You could see how the enemy had, had really quite successfully uh, stripped her of any, any sense of self-worth or identity in Christ. And so uh, Dr. Kraft, what was his name? Charles Kraft, 
was praying for this young lady, and uh, there was a manifestation. It was quite scary, actually. I, I was not happy to be there. It, it terrified me. And uh, he, he stayed completely calm, didn't even face him. I almost jumped out of my seat. And he hardly even flinched. He'd clearly seen it before. And he prayed. And uh, she, this, this young woman had already uh, entrusted her whole self to Jesus. There was no, no question about uh, repentance or, or her willingness to, to turn to Jesus for healing. But uh, there was still this, this, this demon, as it were, this demonic activity taking place. And so Dr. Kraft simply said, you have no right to be there leaving now in Jesus' name. Don't ever come back. Bit of a show, some, some scary stuff, kind of went down for a moment, um, but the demon left. Kind of like what you read about in the Gospels, essentially. And uh, I remember the next morning I saw Dr. Kraft. We bumped into each other in the bathroom before class. And I said, Dr. Kraft, I have to tell you, uh, I, I, I've always, I mean, I've read the Gospels, so I'm, I believe that like, there, there is a spiritual realm, and I believe that this stuff happened, and, and I, I guess still does, apparently. Uh, but yesterday, that, that, that scared me to death. I really, that really freaked me out. And he kind of smiled at me. He said, oh, son. So that very grandfatherly demeanor. And he said, one thing you need to understand what you witnessed yesterday, all smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. Lies and deception. And there, was, there, was, there was no power there. There was no authority in, in, in what you were witnessing. And he was the one that told me, it's, it's like an elephant cowering before a mouse. If the elephant knew the weight that he had in one paw, he wouldn't even hesitate. Without any exertion, without any effort on his part, all he has to do is just, just done. He said, as a child of God in Jesus Christ, you're the elephant. And the devil is like a rat spewing lies. Just lies. Just lies. Can we go to the next slide, please? Humility looks like a servant who removes their garment of status and kneels down to honor another. Next slide. Humility looks like an elephant towering over a rat spewing lies. In terms of our interpersonal relationships, guys, we disrobe. We take off our garment of status. We get down off the stage. We turn the microphone off. And we serve each other. Um, I've never actually washed someone's feet besides like my own kids. Um, I don't know, maybe someday. When it comes to confronting lies, overcoming insecurities, battling the enemy the way Jesus did in the desert, recognizing that all the enemy's got all that he can attempt to do is to exploit emotions connected with past experiences and try to use lies to get me to forget who I am in Christ. When I'm serving my brother and my sister, I'm down on my hands and knees to humbly serve you, content knowing that I am clothed in Christ. 
I don't need to cling to my status. I don't need to be on the stage. I don't need you to know that I've got a degree and I've read a lot of books or I'm this or I'm that or I make this money or I live in this house. But when my enemy begins to lie to me and tell me that I'm inadequate, that if they knew what I was really like and begins to try to leverage that shame that's so easy to want to hide, I rise up like an elephant and I say, shut up. In the name of Jesus, I know who I am. And I don't care what I did yesterday. I don't care how badly I failed last night. I know who I am. And we rise up. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. And may, we might even pray with a bit of volume and we might stand tall as we resist the devil because we know who we are. That's humility. There's two ends to it. Can I invite the band to come up? We're going we're gonna to start to wind down. I said I was going to attempt to ask, answer three questions. What's humility? What does it look like? Um, but finally, how do, we, how do we cultivate it? How do we grow in it? Two things, very simply. Confession and service. The best way to get rid of the outer garment, uh, to stop clinging to status, is to confess our sins to one another. Confess our shame to each other. Confess your, where, where you're hurting. Confess the lies you've been believing. Scriptures teach us explicitly, confess your sins to one another that you might receive healing. And then we serve each other. If you struggle with pride, like myself, although I'm convinced I don't, which means I do, find a way to serve. Find a way to serve where you likely get zero recognition, no compensation, probably no immediate return. No one's going to notice. You're not going to get anything out of it. Oh, it's a great way to just, just strip away the outer garments. Serve. 